Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. 
It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. All right, it's another film study. We're looking back at week 10 still, but this time we're going to look at that's what some people think is the more fun, the more exciting part, the young part of the Ravens, as we're going to look at the offense this week. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? See, there it is. Life's good. There's no it. I know. You I got just it. Life's myself. good. I just got myself. So uh, people who listened to yesterday's episode will understand the re- <laughs> that I've been monitoring that. So uh, but it's all good here. The uh, I know we're going to get into the offense and all. And I guess we should in- introduce Chris first, but I do want to get your opinion on the Ravens made some moves today. The Ravens have been very active making moves this season, it seems. That's and, right. And that's been fun. And we talked about yesterday on the defense that they might have to make some moves. So I do want to get you to talk about that. But let's introduce Chris first. So Chris is joining us from BaltimoreFeather.com and the Nest Talk podcast. Both of those obviously by the names cover the Baltimore Ravens. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Life's good, Chris. Great, great to have you on air here. Thank uh, you. You, you. So, Josh, you mentioned the the, the moves they made today. So, yeah. Chris, and I'll get to talking about that. Maybe uh, Ravens have obviously made a number of very decisive and quick moves to pick up very appropriate street free agents that have helped the team. Bynes, Fort, and Ward all been terrifically valuable players for the Ravens. Now, in the last three or four weeks, three or four games, anyway. And uh, and now two more today. D'Amato Pecco, who is a divisional opponent of longstanding with the Bengals and, and moved on, I think, to the Raiders for two years yes. before he oh, – yes, to Denver, Denver, and where he played pretty well the last two years. And then didn't, didn't have a place he's playing this year. And then they also got Ellis. What's Ellis's first name? Uh, you caught me off guard on that. I don't know. All right. I you'll, think you'll look it, it is um, Justin Ellis. Sounds right. Yeah, Justin Ellis. Okay, so so the the ex Raider who played uh, two years ago and was not a bad player and played last year a few snaps, but uh, but this year it didn't play at all. So neither of these guys has played a snap in 2019, which is I think part of the reason why they just they got both of them rather than just one of them. Right, and they also released Cyrus Jones, which we yeah. talked on the defense. He's probably the next man out. Yes, Baltimore guy. Uh, they obviously got a two-for-one replacement with the Anthony Thomas to do return both kicks and punts, which is good because Chris Moore is hurt, and uh, and it certainly looks like they are, uh, you know, that's the that's the way they'll stay. I don't see Cyrus Jones coming back to this team at this point. All right. Uh, do you think these guys are going to be impact players that they picked up, or are they concerns because of Williams and uh, uh, Pierce? Is there something with Williams that you know that I don't? No. Because Pierce is hurt. No, okay. no, just in general. He, he's been banged up, but yeah, just an important yeah, part. P- yeah, that's that's true. They really overworked Williams in this last game. Pierce is hurt, and I would take this as a fairly clear indication the injury is more serious than Harbaugh's saying it is. As a day-to-day injury, it's probably more like a week-to-week injury. All right. And, and, and they have a lot of big running opponents coming up. These two guys... 
I think they, they've they've got two because they don't know where these guys are in terms of practicing and, and jump in here at any time, Chris. But they want to practice with two and see if they can get one that they like. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's just bring them both in and, and make it work because we don't have much time right now. Yeah, yeah well, normally you'd, 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 you'd bring these guys in, you do a workout, and you'd sign one if you needed to replace one guy right. for a particular point. But But in this case, the... Because of the nature of the replacements, they're too important. And so they want to, instead of just having a workout with two guys who haven't been practicing, they want to bring in two guys, let them practice with the team this week, and they'll have one active on Sunday. At least that's my guess. Gotcha. Before we get into this Ravens game, what everyone's really tuning in to talk about, let's have, let's have Chris kind of share about uh, uh, Baltimore Feather and kind of your background. Absolutely. So BaltimoreFeather.com, uh, as I like to call it, is the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens blog on the Internet. Um, there I cover Baltimore Ravens news, give my opinions on the games, any signings we make, really anything that happens with the Baltimore Ravens, I'm typically on it. Uh, I started the website in around 2017. Uh, I'm not actually from the Baltimore area or Maryland in general. Um, I kind of got the Ravens a weirder way. Um but, you know, I decided it would be something good to do, maybe talk with some Ravens fans more because there really aren't many where I'm from in Jersey. So uh, we mainly have Jets and Giants fans where I'm at. So, But it's a great way to talk to other Ravens fans, uh, get involved with the community, and have some great Ravens discussions. Okay, so you're from North Jersey, not Joe Flacco Jersey. Not Joe Flacco Jersey, no, Northern Jersey. All right. Very good. Well, it's a pleasure having you, uh, Chris. We, yeah, we appreciate you. you coming on the show. And let's talk a little bit because we got lots of fun things to talk about. And, and let's start with the, the man of the hour, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. Lamar Jackson had a fantastic game, really cemented himself as, uh, I think, the front runner of the MVP race here in this game against the Bengals. Definitely a, 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 a historic game, not just a, not just a great game, a perfect passer absolutely. rating second of the year. But this is one of the things that came off uh, uh, AWS, uh, of the next-gen stats, is that Lamar Jackson, the set of throws he took to achieve an 88.2% completion percentage. Now, it wasn't really 88.2 because that includes a spike. He was really 15 of 16, not 15 of 17, yeah. which would be like 94% of his passes. But see, he, he was at 88.2 instead of 57.7. That's 30.5% percentage points better than expected, which is by far the highest in the NFL this season recorded on Next Gen. The second highest is Jackson in week one against Miami, which was 26% and change. The third highest is only about 22%, and there's only one other over 20 the entire year. So Jackson is not only throwing into some tight windows, really feeling it, getting the tight ends most mostly to make the catches and uh, and really just hitting some difficult throws among these that he's making. Yeah, and I think that's really a testament to the offseason work he put in. I mean, we saw him go down and talk and work out with some QB gurus and put really a ton of work in this offseason to to uh, to make his, his um, himself more accurate, better base, better overall mechanics for the quarterback. Um, and you mentioned, I think you said it was the week one Miami game, one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So right out of the gate, you can see it immediately. And I don't think we can discount either that game or this Bengals game 
um, because of their opponents. I'm, obviously, both those teams are pretty bad comparatively with the rest of the NFL, but you know these are still NFL defenses, still are trying to find a way to stop Lamar Jackson, and seemingly no one's been able to do it so far. Yeah, they uh, they loaded up on the box. Certainly, this is this is a a game where I think the Bengals came in deciding they were going to stop Lamar Jackson from running the football, and they did load up initially in terms of how they would spy him, how they would uh, jump on play action, which they did. The Ravens ran a lot of play action in this game, by the way. Out of sixteen uh, pass snaps, they ran ten play action snaps, which is a is an overload of play action. You you should be you should probably be faking less than half the time, but the Ravens were not. They were faking more than half the time in that sense. And the Bengals, in particular, a team that bites on play action uh, ravenously. So they, they uh, the, the linebackers in particular, uh, jumping on play action and, and, and lots of opportunity for, uh, for Jackson then to hit the tight ends, particularly in this game. Yeah, I think that was really exactly what Greg Roman was looking to do as well. He knew Cincinnati was going to come into this game, especially with having um, the previous game being so run-heavy for the Baltimore Ravens. And, of course, the game against New England was also extremely run-heavy. The Bengals were totally expecting a run early, um, and the Ravens kept hitting with the pass with those tight ends, which they assumed were going to be blocking. Uh, Boyle had a big day as well, you know, typically just a blocker. But um, very great. I think it was a great game plan by Greg Roman. Yep, he's been an enormous complimentary piece to Jackson here on the Ravens to to have him uh, have those two together and really understand what Jackson's capabilities are and how to use them best and how to fool the opponents regularly. And and you know it's a it's a run heavy offense. And what I've I've said all along is that it's very difficult to keep that fresh because it's more easier when you have that third dimension of depth from the line of scrimmage where you're throwing to to keep that component fresh. But at, when you're at the line of scrimmage, you don't have as much vertical depth you're working with. And it's just there's less ways to fool people moving in a smaller space, if you take my meaning about that, before you hit that point of attack. So uh, I, I, I really respect what Roman has done in terms of, uh, of keeping this offense fresh. And, and this week, going after Cincinnati with the pass worked very well. Uh, a couple of things I want to note on this. He had ample time and space, just seven of 16 throws that excluded the spike again. Uh, it's solid, but not extraordinary. It's, a, it's a, probably a slightly above average for the NFL this year. Uh, we mentioned low, rates in the low 40s seem to be the norm. His expected yards on those 16 throws, 95. His actual yards, 223. Those are based on Flacco's. 2010 through 2017 results. So the plus 128, second best game of his career to date. But the expectation of eight additional yards per throw is second only to that Miami game. That's just an outrageous number. Flacco is never anywhere near eight yards per throw uh, better than expectation in a game. Yeah, that's just really amazing. And I think it really shows the value that Marquise Brown specifically brings to this Ravens offense, the way he can stretch the field, especially even the first play of the game, they came out with Marquise Brown. But then they also hit Mark Andrews, Boyle again for a few big plays. So they're really looking to stretch the field vertically here, which is, you know, something not one might expect. Right, right. And and obviously I, I, there's nothing about the play action, although I believe they ran play action on the first play. I'm not looking at it right now. Um, they, there's nothing about the play action that was central to having Brown knock the cover off that defense, but it was certainly central to those throws to the tight ends right. uh, in, in terms of getting that running. So uh uh, just such a fun freaking offense to to watch. You wonder what they're going to do really next. Is. And even even when it doesn't work, even when there's a busted play of some sort, 
you know, he's forced out of the pocket, he's flushed, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you got a whole new level of excitement. Yeah, I don't think I've had this much excitement for an offense in my entire Ravens fan career. So, I mean, this is really exciting to watch every single week. You just wonder, what is Lamar going to do this game, this snap? It's it's just really something you can't predict. Right. Very, very fun. That's uh, that's for certain. Looking back a week to New England, one of the things that really stuck at, struck out is that they made no attempt to go after the New England secondary. They did not push the ball down the field and allow New England's ability there, which is really the only level at which they have a lot of athletic ability, to uh, take over the game or to, or, to, or to have some opportunities for their ball skills to enter the game. And so this average yards per completion, sorry, air yards per completion last week was just 2.9 yards against New England. And they had some runs after the catch by Ingram twice for 29. And they had a, a uh, the little, uh, what do you call it, shovel pass uh, directly in front on the jet sweep action by Brown that went for 25 yards. But they effectively got all their yards through Yak last week. And, th- and this week, not the case at all. Average air yards of completions was 10.6, so that was probably roughly around two-thirds or a little bit more of the total yards were in the air. Yeah, and when you look at New England's secondary, obviously that's a very, very strong unit. Um, you know, people are talking about that defense being on a higher level than most defenses historically. Um, you've got Stefan Gilmore, who obviously has his claim to being one of the best corners in the game right now. You've got the McCourty brothers back there. Um, Patrick Chung, I believe he played that game. Um so just a lot of different players that can make a lot of different moves on the ball. And I think the Ravens were smart to keep going short because uh, it, it kept working. And the Patriots really had no answers um, on the grounder in that short passing attack for Lamar Jackson. No, it was, uh, it was very cool. This game, no running back targets the entire game after hitting Ingram for a couple big ones last week. I think he might have had a pass. No, he didn't have a pass. He only had a target to Hill, but he didn't have a pass. So uh, anyway, it's uh, everything was wide receivers and tight ends in this one. Yeah, it's very surprising, though, that there were no RB targets on that. One thing I I noticed out of Lamar, a lot of arm angle variation in this one. Some of it almost seemed like he was just doing it because he could, but other times it seemed like it was the optimal way to get the ball to the the, uh, receiver, which I respect, (laughs) but it's it's too bad if if he's— if he's just doing it to like, oh, let me let me show you how I can throw a dart underhanded and hit the bullseye, I, I got less tolerance for that. But, but anyway, it's, uh, it, it's obviously this result, I'll take it any way it goes. Absolutely. I, I noticed on the um, the play where he pitched it to um, RG3, he, he had a weird release on that one as well. I'm not sure if that counts as a pass or as a toss or what, but he definitely oh, had a strange does. release um essentially falling down on that one one of my readers pointed out to me which i thought was very strange but not sure what happened there maybe he got overexcited but you know he's very excited all the time so maybe that has something to do with it as well Uh, very cool a lot of fun to watch anyway uh where are you on the lamar for mvp possibility now you mentioned before you think he's the front runner are you sticking with that right now i think he's the front runner um there are players you know wilson has better passing stats. That's not really very debatable. Um, Watson, also electric. And I think McCaffrey has a very good claim to the MVP award as well. But the way defenses are just unable to bottle up Lamar Jackson, they're not able to scheme for him properly, I think really takes away the rest of the conversation. No one else can seem to figure out any way to stop him, whether it's through the air or on the ground. You know, a lot of the talk this upcoming season was, you know, the Chargers – 
in the playoff game seemingly exposed Lamar Jackson and, you know, the Ravens offense was kind of gimmicky, but Greg Roman has done a fantastic job of changing that around. Um, and now the conversation went from, well, Lamar Jackson has been figured out to no one can figure out Lamar Jackson. I think yeah. that not exactly, you can't really measure that in any sort of metric, but that itself, I think, makes him the front runner for the MVP award. But you mentioned all the time he spent in the offseason. I think him becoming a more polished passer, just a Absolutely. more polished release, everything is what's changed that offense, obviously, is that they have that other dimension they can use. Right. But we, we're talking about the MVP voting. Let's go through the odds quickly here. Russell Wilson, um, I'm going to give this in dollars return per $1 bet, including your original bet. So this is kind of like what you get at the $2 window or what you get at the $1 window, actually, at the horse track. So your your $1 ticket returns 325 currently on Russell Wilson. It's using a cross-section of the best prices from oddschecker.com. You got Lamar Jackson, you get 360 on your dollar bet. That's the second bet. That's the second least payoff. Deshaun Watson, you get $8 back. Aaron Rodgers 850, Patrick Mahomes $17 now. That seems like smart money at this point. I would think yeah. for that for that price. Christian McCaffrey, 17, wouldn't take that. Dak Prescott, 26, wouldn't take that. Dalvin Cook, $34, I wouldn't take that. The interesting one here, Tom Brady, $41 on a dollar return. So 40 to 1 odds. Is that a number you'd consider at this point? Tom Brady, honestly not. I don't think he really has a shot at the MVP award. Super Bowl MVP is one thing. He's always in the conversation once the playoffs come to get to that Super Bowl. Um, but honestly, I don't see Tom Brady having much of a path to the MVP award. I think he's slowly regressing at this point. Uh, we're seeing him take a lot more checkdowns than normal. Um, and it's starting to be apparent that he probably won't be the quarterback of uh, New England next year. And of course, that doesn't have much to do with the MVP award, but it just signals that he's not really performing uh, as he used to. That's that's fair enough. And obviously, for for him to repeat even what did happen in the first, I think a lot. I think basically a lot of other players would need to come back to earth for Brady to win it, and the and the Patriots almost certainly would have to go fifteen and one, fourteen and two. But the the voting is done at the end of the regular season. It's not done after the right. postseason. So anyway, he's, he has that disadvantage too. And I, I'll go a little can, further. Kurt, how, yeah, go ahead. How do you guys view the MVP? Because I was just having this discussion because baseball just gave out their MVP and uh, awards. Is it the most valuable player or is it the best player that year? Because if you're arguing the most valuable player to his team, a lot of times that's different than the best person. Right. I, I, and it might be in, in Jackson's particular case, Jackson means more to the Ravens and does more for the Ravens than his own personal statistics would show. So I think that would be part of the decision. Is that what you're getting at, Josh? Yeah. For most valuable player to his team, it seems like Lamar best player in the league you kind of lean towards uh russell wilson yeah russell wilson's stats are amazing and russell wilson you know obviously there isn't anybody else who who uh, you know seattle needs more or, or who uh, uh seattle's fall off would be even greater maybe perhaps than 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 the ravens would be with lamar jackson going out to rg3 say for a period of time but uh still I think Lamar Jackson has just such a broad influence on freezing opposing edge defenders that opens up the middle of the field in many ways. I just I I couldn't see even Russell Wilson being as valuable to his team. I think the one award Lamar has locked up is the cover of Madden next year. Yeah, pretty pretty good chance. 
What do you think about that, Chris? Uh, I think he's going to get offered it. I would hope he doesn't take it. I'm not, I don't know if you're aware of the Madden curse. Every time someone takes the cover, something bad happens. This year, Pat Mahomes got injured. So, you know, he'll probably get offered it. He'll probably take it. But let's hope, you know, just for our sake, he doesn't. That'd, that'd be good. Going a little further down the line here, I want to just finish up with these MVP awards. Kirk Cousins at 40 to 1, returns you $41. Jimmy Garoppolo, 51. What do you think there? You got a winner there? Um, you know, Kirk Cousins has had a, a really good past few weeks, past four or five weeks. Um, I think he'll need to do a little bit more to get the MVP award, get back into the you know top three here with Wilson, Watson, and uh, Lamar Jackson. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, I really don't think, has much of a chance to win MVP. He's a pretty good quarterback, but I don't think he's really on an elite level with the San Francisco 49ers at this moment. Yeah, that's where I am, too. The, the worst bet on the board I can see is Mitch Trubisky at 150 to 1. It's it's dumber money than anything else on this list. Yeah, that is absolutely the worst bet you could probably take at this point. <laughs> All right. All right, outstanding. So let's move on. Uh, well, we've talked about Lamar. Let's go on and talk about the offensive line scoring. I usually go through real quickly here. Stop me if you want. Do you want to you want to talk after each lineman, Chris? Talk a little bit about what you're seeing or what you have seen, or how would you like to do it? I can talk after every lineman. That'd be fine. All right, let's go through and do it that way. I'll tell you how I scored it. Ronnie Stanley, one quarterback hit near the end of the first half. That was to Lawson, beaten outside. Otherwise, he was very solid in the game. Had two only two missed blocks. He and Yanda only played 33 snaps in this game. They came out. Uh, right at the beginning of Q4 when they were replaced by Hurst and Macari, respectively. So with only 33 snaps, and, and they got very badly out-snapped in this game, as we'll talk a little bit about later, uh, even one mistake like a quarterback hit dropped his grade level, and he got a B, uh, 85 as a adjusted score. At uh, Anything about Stanley you want to talk about? Yeah, Stanley's been a fantastic player all year. I think he's probably one of the more solid tackles. Obviously, isn't going to be the best tackle in the league uh, right now, at least. But he has been a very serviceable starter, a very good starter for the Baltimore Ravens. Definitely somebody I'd look for them to extend in the very near future, hopefully before the end of the season. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with you about him not being the best left tackle in the league. He is very close. He's the best pass-blocking left tackle in the league, I believe, right now. So we'll see how that how that plays out. And, you know, I, I score it differently than PFF. So in particular, in pass-blocking errors, we tend to have significant differences. But... Uh, we're both in agreement that Stanley is an outstanding pass blocker, that's for sure. Let's move on. We'll talk about uh, Bradley Bozeman a little bit. Now, Bradley's had been, been having some troubles recently. did have a big game against Seattle. Then he, he crashed back to earth uh, with a not great game against uh, New England. And then this game, he got a C. Uh, 39 out of 44 blocks, missed three, one pressure, two-thirds of a quarterback hit, one false start. So he was the only lineman to be penalized. Uh Sneaks in at the bottom of the C range. Now, he did play against some of the more difficult opposition on the line. Their interior linemen, Billings and Atkins in particular, are the strength of their defense, such as it is. Obviously, they have one of the worst defenses in the NFL, but those two guys are very solid players. Bozeman, been more mobile than really was advertised, and this is at least in terms of mobility getting to level two, where he made five blocks, and he made also five out of six pulls. He has some had some lateral mobility issues. Yeah, and the, the false starts and penalties have really been a big issue with Bozeman all season. Um, I go to most of the Ravens' home games, and you know every time a penalty is called on him, the crowd just basically gives a giant sigh with each other because <laughs> it's been a uh, repeating offense with Bozeman for the past few uh, weeks here. 
Um, but I think he's a lot of potential in year two. He definitely has a lot of room to um, continue to get better. So I'm not going to sell on him just yet, but he definitely needs to improve if he wants to maintain his position uh, as a starting left guard, at least into next year, because I don't see anybody who's going to replace him at this point. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily likely to happen. His big chance to have it happen is on the bye week, and he and he uh, definitely pulled his bacon out of the fire with a huge game at Seattle. It was his best of the game of the year. That was right before the bye, so it kind of solidified him. So anyway, he is I would agree probably safe for the year at this point. Matt Skura. So we had Matt Skura on the show last year. Matt Skura created his own uh, handmade, not handmade, that's the wrong, homemade Pro Bowl ballot. And this year, I, under, I, I saw Batskara circulating his own Pro Bowl ballot again, Josh. So <laughs> that was something interesting for us to uh, see and talk to you last year. Very good guy. He did a great job of giving us a bunch of inside football, things we wouldn't otherwise hear. Not giving away anything the Ravens wouldn't want him to give away, but just some understanding about how offensive linemen communicate with each other and things like that. And uh, very interesting stuff. We'd love to have him on again if uh, if he's listening listening now. Anyway, this game, uh, I gave Skura a B. He did have half a penetration allowed, so that's against the run game. He had a lot of loss, or uh, half was half responsible for a loss. Otherwise, he just had four missed blocks. Uh, worked out to be a B. Uh, two out of two on poles and three blocks in level two. Yeah, and I think Skura actually is a very underrated starter for the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of people just seem to assume based on last year's performance that he's not very good, but he's ha- quietly been having a very good year uh, at the center position. Not, of course, uh, perfect, but he he is much better, I think, this year than he was last year, and that's a great sign for him to continue on forward. Yeah, so I love the trend of flashy, but uh, sorry, of steady but not flashy improvement because it might lead to an economy this offseason. So, you know, he had a C minus year last year, and and I really don't great. A C is an average NFL defender. It's I'm not trying to inflate the curve in either direction, and he is a, a average offensive lineman, I should say. But I think he's had pretty much a C plus year this year, and or maybe a C a C plus year. But he's on he's on the border right there at the top of the C range, and it, it seems to me if he took another step forward next year, he'd be very valuable free agent after year four. If the Ravens decided that this was the time to extend him, I think both sides would be incented to come to the table and find a price that made sense. And uh, and that, this may be a player that you really want to do, because if you're Matt Skura, you don't really want to bet your entire career, every dollar you're going to earn in one humongous bet in, in based on year four performance when you might get hurt. If you're the Ravens, you don't want to risk a $40 million Ryan Jensen salary, even maybe a, a step below that at $34 million, let's say, because he's not the same kind of mauler that Jensen was. Uh, but, but a step below that in terms of a, a, a top center contract, you'd rather see if you could get him at, at four years, $22 million or four years, $25 million or something that would make sense for both sides, make Skura uh, financially secure and, and, and make it a value to the Ravens. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think the way Eric DaCosta has structured um, his entire front office so far kind of demonstrates that he's definitely willing to go after and, and grab uh, a player like Skura to an early extension. He demonstrated that with Tavon Young. Um, Willie Sneed's not an early extension necessarily, but he was extended. He's trying to make sure the Ravens are in a good position with their cap and are also holding on to players that are either already good starters right now or they think are going to be good starters in the future for them. Yep. Yep. Okay. 
We'll move on to, to right guard. Marshall Yonda uh, continues to have a, a fine season. Uh, 33 plays in this one, just like Stanley. He allowed one pressure. It was on the very first play of the game. Uh, 0.85 points per play with an adjustment. That's a B. He made six out of seven pulls. So they did more pulling to the left than they did to the right in this game. Uh, well, let me see here. I'm not sure that's actually true because we got two pulls from Stanley and none from Brown. But anyway, six out of seven for Yonda. Uh, pulling in this game, which is good. And they still got a little bit of mobility in addition to the ability to open the front gate when the power run game is going to the right. Uh, can't say enough about him. I hope he continues to play for another couple of years, but uh, we are where we are. Yeah, absolutely. He's always been a very good right guard for us. Um, the retirement talk, I'm not sure how much of it was really legitimate last year. Some of the sources were not very credible, but I, you know, he is getting up there into... Um, the latter half of his career definitely past that point. Um, but yeah, I agree. I hope he does stay for a long time here in Baltimore, at least the next couple of years. Um, Cause he definitely still has value. Yeah. Sign for one more. He may or may not play that. I think what'll happen is what may happen is they're going to sign him to a series of one year extensions each year, which gives him a second year. And then at some point he's going to say, sorry, I'm retiring now. And, and his prorated whatever, portion of prorated bonus they paid will all end up losing which is fine uh, he's been a great raven and five years after them after he leaves or maybe sooner than that if they make an exception i'm sure he'll be in the ring of honor yeah i definitely agree with that all right uh orlando brown had the best game of any lineman uh he did not have any sort of a pass rush event until the very last offensive play of the game when he when he shared a quarterback hit by phone boothing allowing the pocket to be phone boothed on his side while uh Hurst actually gave up the major component of it. So he gave up one point on that. Um, but he, he still got an A for the game, missed four blocks. Looks a little bit uh, slow getting into level two and making making blocks in this game. One of those, although he had a couple other times when he moved to level two and couldn't do anything. So uh, very happy with where he is as a player. We had a guest on a few weeks ago, Brandon Thorne, who said, you know, you don't know how few people there are who can play right tackle in the entire NFL. There's there's more people who can play left tackle than can play left right tackle. And I think that's a function of there's a current of people to move from right tackle to left tackle because it's the more important position to protect the quarterback. And so they move there if they're needed. And you end up with a lot of whatever you got left at right tackle. And, and that, uh, honestly, if, among those, Brown is becoming a more and more uh, significant player. Yeah, I think you're right about the you know right tackles migrating to left tackle. But I've been very impressed with Brown over what the season and a half he started full season maybe. Um, you know, being a third round draft pick, obviously he had the ability to be a first round pick uh, before his his pretty bad combine showing. But he slipped to the third round. The Ravens took a chance on him, even though he wasn't the biggest or best performer at the combine and he's really turned out to be a fantastic um grab for the baltimore ravens i think a huge steal in that draft yep absolutely completely agree uh let's go on hurst at uh he played three snaps as a sixth offensive lineman made all his blocks there then he went into play left tackle and he allowed a quarterback hit on the last play of the game two-thirds of one they shared with brown as i mentioned before uh so 0.64 on the game he doesn't get a grade because he's under 20 snaps Macari also talked about right now. He came in, made all 11 of his blocks as he scored it. He was actually, there were a couple of gimmies in there, I think, but 11 out of 11 is 11 out of 11. He didn't have any errors, at least, and uh, and pretty solid performance from Patrick. 
Yeah, those two guys, um, Patrick McCarry, I, I like, has a lot of potential for the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously continued the tradition of undrafted players making their roster. Um, James Hurst, you know, I thought he would have a chance to start at the left guard position this offseason, but obviously they didn't work out. But he is a good, versatile player, can really play any position al- on, uh, along the offensive line. Um, so he's definitely good to have around as well. Yeah, well, they don't really have a backup tackle at this point. Their Hurst is the guy who would who would step in and play, and Hurst's experience at tackle with the Ravens has not been good. Uh, his, his one time that he was quite good was at left guard in 2017. Yes, 2017. And then he went back to play the position when we think he was hurt at the end of 2018. It didn't work out. So uh, I, I would hope that if he's if he's forced into action again, it will be at guard and not tackle. Uh, but uh, but you have to have some versatile players around who can play multiple positions, and he's one of them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, some other general offensive notes. I want to talk about a few things there. You know, this is a, a game where the Ravens were completely unstoppable for the first five dri- drives, excluding that end of half kneel. So I believe their their drives were touchdown, 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 end of half, touchdown, touchdown, while Lamar was in the game. It's very impressive. And I think Sam Cook didn't even make a punt till the end of the fourth quarter, I believe, which is, I mean, that's just a huge testimony to the offense, being able to keep the punter off. I know he's on pace for, I think, his career best uh, 40 punts. I think last time I checked is what he would have. His current low punt um, season is at 60. So, I mean, that just shows you how great this Ravens offense is, not only at scoring on their drives, but, of course, draining enough clock to the point where the opponent just doesn't have enough time but you know they didn't really win the uh, time of possession battle in this game which is somewhat surprising although not so much with the amount of passing they did yeah and that not when you understand why, why it really happened they scored two defensive touchdowns for starters now, well, now yeah. that wouldn't that wouldn't have won them the thing all by itself because they lost it by like 26 snaps or something or 28 even maybe 26 whatever it was it, it, but so that's won't catch them up 26 but the other team the, the Bengals had a bunch of 10 play drives that didn't go anywhere they had six plays that were exactly 10 plays in length. And the longest one of those was 65 yards. And the shortest one was something like 26 yards for 10 plays. So there's a bunch of, of drives to nowhere for the Bengals. I mean, they only scored 10 points and had six 10-play drives. Very, very unusual circumstance. Some of that was in the first half when they were having some effectiveness with their run game. And they were still able to produce a couple, at least in the second half. So, uh, so that was what it was. I wanted to get you this number, though. The Ravens, in terms of punts per drive and let's make sure i have this correct well i had it correct going into this last week and i don't want to see the number unless i if i can't get the thing well anyway they'd only punted on 26 percent of drives coming into last week and this this week it was only one of uh eight or whatever it was they had one ended by interception they had uh six or five ended by touchdown and one end of half drive that shouldn't count in the statistics so uh, they are having a fantastic season with regard to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, really impressive. Yeah, they lead the they lead the uh, NFL in every per meaningful positive per drive snap there is. So yards per drive, points per drive, uh, that sort of thing. They're they're number one in everything. So anyway, it's uh, it's been a magical season. You know, we have not had this guy. Since we had Burt Jones in, in the 1970s, if you're a Baltimore, Baltimore football fan, and it's just it is great to have the hot quarterback in the league. 
Yeah, and it's definitely strange coming from, you know, the Ravens organization to have, you know, an MVP leading candidate at this point, you know, nothing against Flacco, but he was never really in conversation for any of the the best quarterback in the league, no matter what year it was. But this is really exciting compared really to the past couple of years in Baltimore. Yeah, they've really only had one guy, maybe two, who's ever been in the MVP consideration. And that Lewis in 2000 really is it. And then maybe Reed in 2008 would have been the other one. Now, there were other other players who were just as good defensively who were going to you know, take votes away from him that year, but or close to as good defensively. So it didn't work out either. But uh, but that, those were the two opportunities for the Ravens to, to get it, and they didn't either of those times. Um, let's see. What else do we want to talk about here in this game? We had lots of other real positive offensive things occur. Um, the Ravens went just four of six on third down in this game. Now, one of those was with RG3. So with Lamar, they went four to five on third down. The one time they failed on third down, they went ahead and went for it on fourth down and made that. So they were really unstopped on any drive, as we know, because they scored a touchdown every single drive. They had Lamar uh, on the field, except for the one where they kneeled out the half. Yeah, and John Harbaugh has been really aggressive, too, this year, going for it on fourth downs in those situations. I mean, I don't agree with every decision he's made. Specifically, that Kansas City game was a little wild with the uh, decisions based on analytics. But, you know, in that situation, if I remember correctly, they were a little past midfield, on that fourth down. So it was definitely, I think, the good decision there. And, of course, with Lamar Jackson, you know, if it's a short yarder situation and nothing's open on the pass, he can just walk in with his legs. So it's really a big asset um, Lamar Jackson is for that Ravens offense when they're going for it on those uh, situations. All right, Chris, I, I know you're in college right now. What are you studying there? History. History. Okay. Yes. You're, you're going to be a history teacher, probably. Uh, <laughs> Maybe may a history teacher, but probably a lawyer is what I'm looking at. All right. Very good. So analytics, I'm, I'm a math guy and I'll, I'll tell you, we, there's two things actuaries can't stand. One is actively managed money. You're just paying for nothing. And, and number two is not going forward on fourth down. And that's that includes fourth and a lot more <laughs> than you would uh, think. So analytics would tell you go for a lot broader set of opportunities than this. And there's a, there's a nice index I've seen out there, the cowardice index which they rank the most cowardly decisions to punt. And so going, they had one, it was in the 95th percentile where it might've been in the Patriots game. They punted on fourth and nine at the 39 yard line or something like that, where they didn't want to kick a field goal, obviously, but they, they should have gone for it instead of punting is what the index is saying. And, and uh, they called it a very cowardly uh, move there. But anyway, I love that index is uh, showing up in some tweets. All right, so other general offense things. 8.2 yards per play in this game. That obviously included some mop-up play from Griffin, so it wasn't all juiced by Lamar's stats. It would have been higher, in fact, with uh, with just Lamar on the field. Uh, they had 20 first downs in the game, and you know we mentioned they went 5 of 6 on, on the 3rd and 4th down. They went 4 to 6 on 3rd down. Then they went 1 out of 1 on 4th down, which kind of makes it like 5 out of 6. But they had 20 first, sorry, five first downs on that. But they had another 15 first downs that were converted on first or second down. That's that's amazing, really. Uh, and there were only, what, 33 plays with Lamar Jackson on at quarterback, something like that? Yes. I saw right. a stat somewhere they scored more points uh, with Lamar at quarterback than they had plays. So, yeah. um, you know, Cincinnati, obviously not the best defense in the league, but I don't think that, you know, any defense in the NFL should be able to – give up that much and, you know, hang their hat on it. 
um, even with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, but he really is a weapon for them. Um, and it, it, you know, the conversions on first down and second down to make another first down really give this offense a huge advantage. And it shows that they're being very, very aggressive with Lamar Jackson. They're not confining him to running the ball, but um, with this Greg Roman offense, they're really starting to open it up in the air. Yeah, very exciting. I'm, I'm just trying to think about what you were saying there, and this is definitely a, a very key thing, is I can't remember a, a quarterback who ever had a point per play for a game. I mean, just think about what that would take. If you score 55 points, let's say, and they're all offensive, and I don't know if they're really restricting and not, not counting the defensive points, which they might be, you know, it's 35 on 33 plays for Lamar if that were the case. And, you know, just to... You wouldn't be limited, I don't think, to 55 plays very often if you scored 55 points. And, yeah, you it's, know, it's just about impossible for that to occur. It's a very difficult stat to attain, I think. Um, I think I saw somewhere there were some quarterbacks that did it a long time ago. I don't know the exact years. Maybe 80s was one year, and the 70s the other, but not for a very long time has this happened. Right. Well, interesting, because it's uh, it, they had two plays in this game, one spike, one kneel at the end of the half that really shouldn't get counted against Lamar. So he right. really only had 31. No, I'm sorry. He did have 33 offensive snaps because that's the number for the linemen. So it was, it was the, the linemen came at the same time Lamar did. And Stanley, those, those snaps are unscored. So Stanley and Yandich had 33. So 33 is the number. Anyway, that's good. All right. What else do I want to talk about? They lost the snap count for the first time this year. Been kind of talking about this all all along, but seventy-two to forty-six. The Ravens now have three thousand three hundred and eighty-two rushing yards in Lamar Jackson's first sixteen NFL starts. Two points of comparison here. First of all, the Patriots held the all-time record for a sixteen-game season with three thousand one hundred sixty-five. So the Ravens trashed that pretty badly by a couple hundred yards. That said, they're probably not going to set the all-time record for rushing yards in the, in this 16-game season. They've fallen off the pace, and they have some much tougher defenses to play down the stretch. So I think it's unlikely that they're going to be able to do it. But also, the, the 1972-74 to 74 Bills, which in the middle had the 2003-yard season from OJ in there, but putting on the end of the last game of 72 and the first game of 74, rushed for 3,472 yards, which according to at Yoshi2052, make sure you give him a follow. Yeah, he's uh, a great guy on Twitter. He's definitely cool, worth a follow. Yeah. Um, is 90 yards better than Lamar's first 16 NFL starts? You know, it's it's almost like the Ravens are turning back the clock on this, right? Because for years now, the NFL has been so much about how much can you score through the air? How fast can you move through the air? And the Ravens, they just really don't care what every other team is doing with this. And they see the production that they can get on the ground, and that's what they want. Um, you know, these are historical numbers. Whether or not he passes the Bills stretch there, I don't know. Um, but it, it really shows that they're willing to pull everything out. I mean, I know Robin has been integrating some uh, formations, the wings and the tees that, you know, a lot of these rushing offenses in the past used. And, you know, again, it is just turning back the clock on this, really. Yeah, it's really strange because there have been very few total perfect passer ratings in NFL history, and most of them were in the modern era. But I'm looking at the list right here. It did, does look like 15, 14 of them happened before 1970, starting with Ray Maloof, a guy I definitely have not heard of, in October of 1948 for the Chicago Cardinals. So 
interesting list there. I thought it would be all modern players, and it definitely is not. Yeah. All right. Let's see. What else do we want to talk about? Some individual skill position players. How about you just bring up a guy, then I'll bring up a guy. Start with one of uh, one of yours, Chris. Uh, sure. So I think Nick Boyle for this game specifically deserves a lot of credit. Um, obviously, he's always a great blocker for the Baltimore Ravens. Got his first touchdown catch uh, last week against the New England Patriots, which was very fun uh, to watch him get that. He has that's been eluding him what now for four years or something yeah. like that. So that was definitely an awesome moment for him. But in this game, he definitely had a more expanded role um, in the the passing game. 78 yards on four receptions. Uh, that's about, I think, 19.5 yards per reception. So for a tight end that's accustomed to blocking, that's not the, the kind of production you would imagine to see out of him. And I think that's why they schemed him for some of those moments there, because the Bengals really had no idea what was coming. I don't believe Boyle's ever had 78 yards in a game. I'm looking through this. Since 2017, he has, and I doubt he did in 2016 either, if I go back further. But uh, a very impressive game, obviously, individually from Boyle. What he means to this offense is just so great. I remember this offseason. A lot of people were making fun at the Ravens for announcing yes. a three-year deal with Nick Boyle. And, and he was so critical of the offense in 2018 in terms of the relative snaps he was getting to both Andrews and Hurst. I mean, Andrews obviously had a great receiving year as a rookie, even though it was only 550 yards. He was the highest yards per target of any player in Ravens history, any receiver in Ravens history. He's the first guy over, I think he's not the first guy over 10, because they had a couple of those, but he was the first guy over 11 at 11.04 and the highest ever. Wow. And it, to, to be very surprising that you would badmouth a guy like Boyle, who's obviously so key to the run game, Everybody else wanted him. That's why the Ravens had to pay him, you know, $18 million for three years. You look at him and, you know, he's got a suspension history. He's got an injury history. And you would think maybe there's a chance that the Ravens could get him cheap. But, uh-uh, that's out the window when everybody else wants him. <laughs> so yeah. they, they got him at, a, at what ends, has ended up already being a very reasonable price. Yeah, and there were some reports flying out there that other NFL teams were extremely interested if Boyle was going to become available. But, you know, to the people making fun of the Ravens over that move, I mean, they obviously don't really understand what Boyle's value to this offense is. Uh-huh. It's not the Gronk, well, somewhat Gronkowski in the blocking um, mechanics, but it's not maybe the Tony Gonzalez kind of player or Jimmy Graham where he's going to get a 1,000 yards here and there every season. He's really a down-in-the-dirt, gritty player that's going to be able to go in and make the key blocks and, of course, make a few key catches in some games. And a lot of people just didn't understand that. Yeah, they, they totally do not get it. But you know what? When any receiver becomes available, you kind of learn who people are on Twitter if they want to sign Des Bryant, if they want to sign Antonio yes. Brown even now. I mean, look, if, if you want to sign Antonio Brown, you better have – a very strong argument as to why not to look at this, make it happen, you know, which is what you get on Twitter because you've only got 280 characters to work with. So that's part of the problem. The other part is people are spazzes <laughs> and, and they Absolutely. want every skill position player they can get to play for the Ravens. Yeah. And, you know, I still got people in my mentions telling me the Ravens need to go out and get Antonio Brown. It's never going to happen. I hope it never happens. Uh, and if it did happen, they'd have to take his phone and put it in a locker and lock it up for the entire football season because otherwise he's going to cause so much trouble on this roster. But, you know, you don't need to go out and sign every skill position player, Des Bryant or Antonio Brown. I think the Ravens are fine how they are right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think 
they will not be going out and getting a skill position player unless they had a serious injury at this point, God forbid. But uh, but I think they're they're safe in that regard. Let's move on. Let's talk about another tight end. Let's talk about Mark Andrews. Now, he actually had two incompletes thrown his way, so he only caught six of eight balls, which in a game like this where the quarterbacks are doing great is unusual. But he uh, uh, was not able to haul the ball in the end zone. There must have been a, a, another ball from RG3 that didn't catch either because otherwise I can't get up to two. Uh, but great game. Otherwise, good hands play. One of the things I, I, I kind of mentioned before, tight windows were being used in this game. So Lamar was throwing into a lot of tight windows, and that meant that the tight ends had to have good hands. And this early earlier in the year, Boyle had some drops. There also some, were some rebounds off receivers where they weren't we weren't right in the bread basket. They didn't have any of those yes, yesterday that could have turned into interceptions, and that was a really nice thing two days ago. Yeah, and with um, marking, uh, not marking, Mark Andrews specifically, uh, he had a pretty bad game in Seattle. I think this game, the New England game, really solidify him. You know, getting back into this offense uh, as a good contributor. Pro Bowl player for Mark Andrews, you going to give him that? I think he's worthy of it. I don't know if he'll be voted in just because of how much the Pro Bowl is really just a popularity contest when it comes to the fans voting, and they have a very significant chunk of that voting. Um, but I think on paper, he definitely is a Pro Bowl player. Okay. Is, is, is targets and catches are down to 44 of 66. He started the season 16 of 17. That I think that percentage of receptions needs to go up for him to make it. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that's one of the places. And, and it, it naturally will go up, and I think his yards will go up if, if they're trailing in some games down the stretch. So I think it's more likely, sure, he'll get a lot of play-action yardage. He can do it from that. But he'll get many more targets if the Ravens are trailing in some games. Yeah, and I think he's overall their best asset in the passing game, you know, from a standpoint of who's going to be able to go up and get the ball out of somebody's hands. He's definitely... Um, not exactly like an Anquan Bolden type, but he has that ability to be the possession guy for the Ravens when they need it most, whether it be on the goal line or in a in a short situation or down the field, as we saw um, in this game. And, of course, he had a big catch in the Arizona game as well early on there. So he has that vertical ability as well. Yeah, Hayden Hurst, is kind of, his season has kind of snuck up on me a little bit because he, he has a lot of shorter receptions. I don't want to say a lot. He doesn't have that many receptions total. He's 18 of 22 balls he's caught though this year. So very nice, very healthy percentage of 82% of the balls that he's caught coming his way. It's only 176 total yards, unfortunately. Yeah, but I am glad with the way Hayden Hurst is playing this year, especially last year was a very big disappointment. I know he was injured throughout most of it, dealt with a foot injury. Um, not the exact starting tight end, you know, when it comes to getting the ball thrown his way, but he's a good guy in there. And this Ravens tight end group is really stacked, so they can spread the ball out all they want if they want to give it to Hurst more than Andrews one game. They should be able to do that if they want to give it more to Andrews. They're entitled to do that as well. Yeah, and they may well have an opportunity before the season's over to, to get Hurst in there as the secondary but more targeted tight end where they like some other particular matchup better. And yeah. they get both those guys on the field at once. All right. Uh, Chris Moore, Cyrus Jones did not dress. Two for the price of one with the Anthony Thomas. Anything you liked that you saw from him? Um, I don't remember exactly where it was in the game. I think it was on a punt return, though. He had um, basically been stopped. I think it was around the 20-yard line, but was able to break free from one tackle uh, and kept going for a few more yards, maybe nine yards on that. So I do like the aggressiveness he brings to the team. Definitely, uh, I think, an upgrade from Cyrus Jones. Jones had 
of course, that fumble against New England, but wasn't really going to get the Ravens a lot of yards on the punt returns. You know, they really haven't had a very good return man since Jacoby Jones. And I think, I don't know if Thomas is going to be that guy for the long term, but I think it definitely is an upgrade from Cyrus Jones, uh, who now is not even a Raven anymore. So a big turn of events in a couple of weeks. So. so DeAndre had 14 special team snaps in this game, which meant he had to be covering kicks too. So that's he's giving yeah. them a lot of all-around value there. I don't know if they used him as a gunner, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's covering kicks and, and covering punts, where that could be all kickoff return uh, snaps he piled up as the Ravens scored seven touchdowns. He would have picked up a bunch from that too. So he might not be he might not be there uh, covering punts. There was only one of those, so we wouldn't really know <laughs> from his snap count whether he was yeah. he was in there or not for that. Uh, how about Patrick Ricard? Obviously a great game on defense in this time, but his but his game at fullback. What did you think of that? You know, I think he's had a very big role in the past couple of weeks at the fullback position. Um, obviously a very good game against New England. You know, he's a guy that doesn't get a lot of credit, you know, in the national media. Obviously, the fullback position isn't the most flashy position, but he makes crucial blocks that they ever need him to make a quick run. I don't think he made any runs in this game, but he would be a very good um, guy to put up the middle. He is that guy. Um, and overall, just a good player for the Ravens. Yeah, you know, they've never they've never tried to run him on anything but a short yardage play, but I'd be interested to see that. You see that just the unwillingness to go down that he had on the pass, I, guess, yeah. I think it was against New England. But the, but the if he to just give him the ball on a, on a dive play at some point during a game, you know, second and four, something like that, where you're not giving up the, the series, just see how many yards he could get out of that. But I'd be I'd be fascinated to see that. Yeah, he's a very fierce player. I'm sure he could get some you know body blows or big plays on that. So uh, Ricard, I think that today's signings may have had something to do with what he's been asked to do defensively because he's been asked to play a bigger role in defense, and a lot of games he's been the fourth defensive lineman active like this one when the Ravens typically would go into games with five defensive linemen active in the past four has been a relatively recent trend or really an 18 and 19 trend as the Ravens defensive lineman per snap has dropped to 1.90 last year and they're slightly below that this year so yeah it, when you're playing that few defensive linemen, the tendency is to want to activate fewer. But if you activate fewer and then you have an injury, as they did this last week, then you can become shorthanded all of a sudden. And it was a worse situation because they lost one of their big run stoppers and they had to make defensive adjustments to go to the 3-3-5 nickel, which meant they had to basically play all of their remaining linemen on the field at the same time. Not Ricard, but but Sealer, Wormley, and Williams all at the same time. Uh, in order to, uh, to to go into that formation. So uh, it, it's I think the signings of, the, of these two defensive tackles really are in part to also take some of that workload of, away from Ricard. Yeah, I think so. And you saw when Michael Pierce went down, the Ravens had a very difficult time stopping Joe Mixon, uh, at least in the first half there. Mm-hmm. Um, Pecco obviously brings a very big veteran presence to the Ravens. He's a guy that knows how to work along that defensive tackle. He's done it for many years in Cincinnati and then a couple in Denver. So he's a guy I think they they believe can plug and play, not necessarily as a starter at this point in his career, but an overall good backup, a rotational player. Um, Ellis, I'm not sure exactly what his role is going to be on with this team. He might be more inactive than not. I don't know how many defensive tackles they want to carry into the active roster on game day, um, but he'll obviously serve a depth role as well. Right, Ellis is a very big body, more of a pure nose at 330 or so pounds. Pecco, I think, is a little bit smaller than that. I might be wrong, uh, but is more of a three-tech, 
I think of it as a not a pure nose guy. So we'll see. One of the things that really struck me, and, and sometimes I have to rely on PFF to go to go back and look at a recent year, but Peco, PFF does not rate Peco very highly in all his years at Cincinnati. And then all of a sudden he went to Denver and he played well for two years. And that tells me that there's something from a system perspective that Denver was able to take out of him. So it might have been that the guys next to him were better. That's always possible. But it might have been also that the system was better in terms of a fit for his talents. And I trust Wink Martindale to get the most out of Pecco, whatever that is, by restricting his snaps, by using him on the plays where he can do the most good. And, and I'm actually kind of excited to get him now that I've looked at, at what how his results differed from the two. Because I certainly remembered from, from the Cincinnati years not being a particularly impressive run stopper within their system. And and this is a big change. This is It's good to see he, did, he played much better at Denver. Yeah, I definitely trust Wink Martindale, too, to figure this one out. Um, I think Pecco, with the right system, with the right scheme for him, uh, will be a decent enough contributor for the Ravens down the stretch here. All right. You have another player you want to talk about? Um, You know, I'm interested to know what you think about Mark Ingram in this game. He didn't have very many carries, um, obviously due to the fact that Lamar Jackson was tearing it up in the air. But when he was carrying the ball, he didn't look that impressive to me maybe i'm missing something but um i'm looking at his stats here nine for 34 something nine like that for 34 yeah um not a great day for him but obviously coming out out of that new england game where he tore up that um defense maybe they're trying to rest him a little bit i'm not exactly sure yeah, I don't, I don't know how to exactly look at it myself. Obviously, he did score a touchdown in this game, which was nice, but that's also telling you that he's he had a couple of runs down by the goal line. The first went for either no gain or a small loss, and then the second one got him in the end zone from the one-yard line. So he's he's he had limited opportunities to really build up some big yardage numbers if two of his nine carries are in that circumstance is what I'm telling you. So nine for 34 isn't that terrible given where he was running the ball from. Right. There weren't that many total offensive plays to go around. So, That's true. Uh, you know, you, you, you have to start with some of that, too. So nobody having 10 carries is is really kind of remarkable. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, the Ravens still rushed for, what, it was 143 or so in this game? So it's approximately that. I might not be exact. Something but, uh, like that, yeah. Most so, of it coming from Lamar, I believe. Most of it, most of it coming from Lamar, yeah. Yeah. Exciting, anyway. Another guy I want to talk about, just, just mention him. Two guys for wide receivers actually are kind of forgotten at this point. One is is Seth Roberts. Now, he was brought in here, and if you recall at the time, there was a real question on whether or not who the Ravens had who could even be an outside receiver in this offense. They had a, a bunch of slot ponies, a bunch of guys who it wasn't apparent. Seth Roberts came as a slot guy. You know, Sneed was already a slot guy. Uh, Moore was maybe the number one outside receiving option the Ravens had, you know, before free agency started. And then he started to pick up people. And then, of course, picked up Boykin and Brown in the draft, which were the biggest additions. And uh, and Seth Roberts has had 17 targets now in nine ball games with 10 catches. I'm sure that's not what he envisioned coming here. Uh, but, uh, you know, kind of forgotten in this. Similarly, Boykin, you know, is not getting on the field all that much. Nine out of 14 targets caught on the season so far. Every week I seem to be saying, boy, it would be nice if they could get Boykin matched up in space against some teams, slower secondary, slower linebackers, etc. Yeah, with Boykin, you know, he seems like a guy the Ravens have for specific purposes in specific games right now. There are points where he'll get like one or two catches a game 
and then he'll seemingly fall off for the next couple. Uh, but with Seth Roberts, though, he had that impressive catch in Kansas City, but other than that, there really hasn't been much out of him, and I definitely agree with you. He did not envision coming to the Baltimore Ravens and being very minor in his role. Yeah, I, I would have thought he wanted more. And the, the Ravens really have two designated receivers on the team now. I mean, look at Andrews and Brown's snaps. They're lower than the other players at their positions because the Ravens obviously have blocking tight ends. They trust in particular Boyle, who's still dominating the snap counts. And other blocking wide receivers they like better than Marquise Brown, which is no surprise given Marquise's yeah. size. But Marquise played 19 snaps against the Bengals. That's it. That was less than Roberts, I believe, in the game. It might have been wow. the same as Roberts. And he caught four out of four balls on those 19 snaps. So he's he's effectively a very likely target anytime he's on the field. Uh, Mark Andrews played 24 snaps. Not a lot. I mean, Ravens only had 46 to, to hand out. I guess in the snap counts that I'm looking at, they're really handing out all 46 of those, are including penalties. So there's even a few more. But he caught the ball or was targeted on eight of those 24 snaps. So he's really a designated target, and so is Brown when they're in the game, a very high probability of getting the football. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons maybe the Ravens aren't putting Brown in so much is the recent injury history as well. Obviously, he had, um, I think it was a Linz Frank injury coming out of college, dealt with that. This past week, there was you know not too much question that he was going to play, but I think he sat in Friday's practice and didn't play. Um, so dealing with these injuries, they don't want to get him too involved, but when he gets involved, they want to make sure he gets out there and has the, uh, either the ability to catch a pass or the opportunity, um, to be looked at for a pass. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it, it does make sense. Bishotti made some statements before the season started that he just hoped Boykin and Brown both could get through the season healthy and then start contributing year two. And they both made a contribution this year, but it has yeah. been a struggle at times to keep them on the field. And obviously to get Boykin ready for the season at all was quite a while it took to, to get things going. Yeah. I think Boykin's more of a long-term project than Marquise Brown is obviously Brown's elite speed separates him from most of the receivers in the league, but Boykin coming out of college has some drop issues. So the Ravens are trying to take that uh, more pedestrian than they are with Brown. Okay, so I want, what I wanted to do right now is is let's take a look at the odds to win the AFC right now, the AFC representative from the Super Bowl. And I, I want you to tell me who you think the smart money is in this group. So I'm going to go to Odds Checker again, give you the uh, best price on each of these teams. And again, this is what you get back on a $1 bet, including your bet. So if you take that, want the Patriots, you get $2.10 back on your dollar. Excited about that one? Not really. You know, it's not going to be the most lucrative bet, but at the end of the day, the Patriots always are going to be in the top conversation for the Super Bowl, always are going to get to the AFC Championship, really. So if you want a safe bet, they're probably the safest bet. You could still obviously lose with it, um, but it's not going to get you very much money on that. All right. Baltimore Ravens, your dollar returns you 475, so 3.75 to 1. That's from Bill Hill in the U.K., I think it's a good bet because I do think the Ravens are going to end up with a first round buy and any team with a first round buy has a very good chance of making the Super Bowl. Um, the $4 on your bet obviously is, is pretty good compared to what the Patriots was. Um, and I said those two teams with the Ravens being the Patriots, of course, uh, are very you know similar to each other in their percentages to make the Super Bowl at this point. Okay, we're just going to do the top four here, but the Kansas City Chiefs $7.50 right now for a dollar bet to win the AFC. 
You know, I'm not so convinced about the Chiefs as I was earlier in the season. Um, the loss to the Titans did not help. Um, <laughs> really, their entire team is essentially that offense and the defense, you know, got shredded by Ryan Tannehill. Not a very good look there. Um, but it is Patrick Mahomes. He is a very, very good quarterback, still in the MVP conversation, although not a front runner. Um, they can make the Super Bowl. So if they do, you know, the $7 would be a pretty good bet. High probability they'd have to win a home game and then two road games to get yeah. to that Super Bowl. So that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. Now, winning an Arrowhead against a wild card contender, probably pretty good chance. But then winning twice on the road, possibly at Baltimore and at New England, or at Houston slash Baltimore and New England, tough double for them. So I'm not really liking that bet. The Houston Texans, though, uh, $13, so 12 to one on the Texans right now to uh, make the Super Bowl. You like that one any better? I actually do. I thought it would be a uh, less return on that bet. Um, They look pretty good this season. Obviously, Deshaun Watson is in the MVP uh, consideration. That division is not the best in the league. The Colts are starting to fall apart without Brissett. Whenever he returns, they'll be better again. But without him, they're not going to be able to do much of anything. The Jaguars are up and down. I see them as a 500 team. The Titans, another 500 team. So they should be able to win that division and, of course, have home field advantage to start. if they beat Baltimore, they're going to have a very good shot at a first-round buy as well. So that would be yeah. a very good bet to pick up, I think. Right. That's that's where I am, too. I think that, that Baltimore and Houston are the best money, and the outcome of this game will really determine it. These odds will probably change fairly significantly based on the on the, on the the outcome of that game, I would yeah. guess. Because the Ravens win it. Obviously, they're still in the race for the number one seed in the conference, not just the number two. If, if the Texans win it, it's going to be very difficult. The, the, the Texans and Ravens will be tied in the standings. And the Texans, or tie the loss column anyway, and the Texans will have the tiebreaker. Yeah. Definitely have um, a shot. They do. All right. Ravens right now, uh, 66% imputed by the odds to, to win that game. So uh, hopefully they, they get it done. Okay. MVPs for this game on offense. I, I usually just call them out 3-2-1. If you want to go play along, give me sure. your number three guy. Uh, number three, probably no surprise since I've been talking about him all game, is Nick Boyle. Had a very productive game. Blocker, again, uh, 78 yards through the air. Definitely wasn't expecting it out of him. Um, almost had a touchdown, too. So a very big contributor, I think, and definitely uh, deserves to be out there on this list. Okay, good choice. Can't argue with that. My number three, Orlando Brown, uh, the only guy on the offensive line who got an A this week, uh, definitely was the standout performer in that group. Yeah, had a fantastic game, as always, with uh, Orlando Brown. Definitely a uh, very good uh, right tackle for the Ravens. Um, yeah. Your number two guy? My number two guy would be Mark Andrews, another tight end. The Ravens love their tight ends with Lamar Jackson. Um, had a very productive day for Baltimore. Obviously, is Lamar Jackson's favorite target at this point, You know, if you don't count Marquise Brown for the chunk plays. Um, the Bengals really didn't have much to stop Mark Andrews in this game. Okay, I'm going to go with with Marquise Brown because I think his play early on really opened up the game for the Ravens in terms of doing yeah, pretty much whatever they wanted to do. So he's my number two guy. Four out of four on catches. Very limited you know, outing with 19 snaps, but, uh, but very instrumental in this win. Yeah, absolutely. Number one uh, guy, I, do we even have to yeah, ask? <laughs> my number one guy is obviously Lamar Jackson, the historical performance, pushing himself to the front running of that MVP consideration and that 47 yard run, I think speaks for itself. Uh, just a fantastic game by him. There's really no one else that can compete. 
Yeah, no, no words on that. One thing that you mentioned earlier in the show was that Jackson had invested himself in the in the off season, which I love to see. That I love to see players investing in themselves during the off season. Ryan Jensen got a huge payday from doing that. Yeah. Uh, Jackson has set himself up to be the MVP potentially from doing it. Who's the one Raven you want to see go work on himself this off season to become a better player? You can name one offense. Very good question. Um, offensively, I'd say Bradley Bozeman. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, definitely not living up to what he needs to be right now for the Ravens, but I think at that left guard position, he could have a chance really to improve with the right uh, mindset. And defensively, you know, he's already doing very well, but I think Chuck Clark can become a very good safety in this league with the right um, development. And I think if he invests himself this offseason, he would probably end up as a starter. I'm not sure if they'll keep Tony Jefferson moving on to next year. Okay. Uh, I am. I, I think I think he's already pretty much won that job. I, on offense, I'm going to take Boykin because I think more than anybody, he needs receiving skills. He's got every tool you could possibly imagine. It's just a matter of sharpening this knife and and uh, what a player he'd be if he if he really took the time. Just I think if he just goes and starts playing catch with Lamar the way other receivers yeah. have, that's probably a good thing. Although I will say it didn't work out for Jordan Lasley over the offseason, who I was speaking very highly of because he'd taken all this time with Lamar, and then, of course, he got cut uh, you know, yeah. fairly early in the process. Well, uh, you know, throwing the, the ball in the pool really didn't help either. So it was, a, it was a childish move, that's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. I'll tell you what, let's move on to the mailbag. Josh, what do you got for us? All right, mailbag is your chance to steer the show by using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. All right, first question up is from Ravens Viz, who says, I'm loving Harbaugh's aggressive attitude towards fourth down this year. How much added value do you think that has brought to this offense? Difficult to measure exactly, other than I think it's been successful both in terms of the actual outcomes and the uh, expected range of outcomes. So I think not only have they been good decisions, they've actually worked out. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy he's done it. I, you know, good outcomes embolden you to take on even a broader set. And frankly, as much as Harbaugh thinks he's being very aggressive about fourth down, he is just scratching the surface on how aggressive he probably ought to be on fourth down uh, in terms of going for it. Right. Yeah, and I think it's a, a very important thing too. Um, and especially with Lamar Jackson, again, I think I mentioned this earlier in the episode, his ability to just take off and run with the ball um, really opens up fourth down. So you have so many different dimensions you can go at it with. All right, let's stick with John Harbaugh for a minute because a year ago he was on the hot seat. And now there's no questioning and we're praising him. How much of this is Lamar saved John Har Harbaugh's career versus John Harbaugh made the right moves, completely moved, changed this or, this organization and the way they are handling the offense? I'll let you start on this one, Chris. Yeah, well, I think Lamar Jackson obviously has that intrinsic value to the offense, but you know, I'm not sure how many coaches in the league would have been willing to tailor an entire offense around Lamar Jackson. I mean, you see it with Tennessee, had a similar prospect, not you know, as elusive as Lamar Jackson and Marcus Mariota, and they tried to turn him into a pocket passer. And now in his, uh, probably his last year with Tennessee, is benched. Um, Robert Griffin III, you know, a different case there with that injury, but, you know, Washington was trying to turn him into a pocket passer as well. The Ravens know what Lamar is. They know he can be a pocket passer when they need him to be, um, but they're not going to force him to stick in, in that pocket. They're going to let him run wild. Um, so I think John Harbaugh really should get a lot of credit for that. 
Um, but of course, Lamar Jackson is who he is, and his production really is is his own work as well. Well, in, in terms of Lamar Jackson saving quote unquote saving Harbaugh's job, I don't think Harbaugh is in any jeopardy, frankly, with the way the Ravens have hung together as a team this season and gotten it done. But there's other people who deserve a lot of credit here. That's both coordinators who are extraordinarily talented. I mean, they're right at the top of their of their groups in terms of how good they are. They'll be mentioned, I'm certain, in head coaching opportunities this offseason. May lose one, may lose both of them. Uh, and So both of them deserve credit. The other guy who deserves a ton of credit is Eric DaCosta. He put this team together effectively in part during Ozzy's last drive, last draft with the, with the contributions he made to that, but in terms of this draft as well, in terms of, of getting a set of players who are helping immediately with Brown and Boykin and, and Ferguson to a lesser degree. Uh, you know, just a very good set of players. And then this year, what he's done to pick up street talent that has immediately jumped in and contributed a very high level. It's just, it's one of the most impressive individual years of GMing that I can remember. All right. And I, yeah, like- and I oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I entirely agree with that. I think Eric DaCosta has a fantastic year at GM and really is pulling um, a lot of moves out of his hat here. Um, you know, Josh Bynes, um, LJ Fort, these are guys that no one else wanted really at all um, until Ward. mid-season. And, and there wasn't Ward as well. Jihad Ward has been a great contributor for the Ravens. So he's done his due diligence in all these guys and is going out and making a really good team for the Ravens. There, there was a clip going around the Internet yesterday of John Harbaugh going up to Lamar on the sideline saying over and over again how much he loves him and loves the way he plays. And I think uh, – we will always link Joe Flacco to John Harbaugh because they had 10 years together, but John Harbaugh didn't draft Joe Flacco. And Lamar, he did get involved in that to draft Joe uh, Lamar. I'm trying to think of when they hired Harbaugh. He wasn't there for the draft. That surprises me a little bit. I mean, uh, even if he was, Joe was a third-string yeah. quarterback. He wasn't supposed to take over the offense at the time. Okay, okay. But, All right, so, I, I want— but I would yeah. argue the point. He certainly had more influence over the Rome in 2019 right. than he did in 2008. Right, right. They, yeah, Joe was drafted 2008, and John came on 2008. I don't know which one was first, but I don't think John had much influence on choosing Joe. Um, all right, uh, let's get to Lee's question. Uh, a stat on Sunday said that 45% of our offense is ran out of the pistol, and Carolina was second at 5%. Is that... Uh, is this a Greg Roman thing or a Lamar-specific thing? And what does that mean that we are so far ahead of use of that than other teams? Okay, I think I want to defer this one because I've, I've already asked him about a film study short on exactly this. It's way too detailed, I think, to, right. to, to go during this Q&A gotcha. period. See, you always do that. You steal the really good questions. I steal the really good ones. We That's exactly what we want. Them. We want really I know. good questions. All right. Turn it short. All right, so that answer is coming up in a short. All right, so then let's... Uh, go with the Greg Roman question. Is he a legit uh, head coach candidate, or is P- are people just getting a little excited because of this change? You know, it's hard for me to determine exactly how he would come across as an interview. A- at the podium, he seems like a very genuine guy, a guy who's very much enjoying his job. You know, a lot of head coaching is a different aspect of motivating players but coordinating is a component, obviously, of motivating. He's so good and so technical at determining things like snap counts and where players will be best utilized. 
I think that's that's extremely valuable on defense where there's tons of rotation. It's probably also valuable for an offensive coordinator, obviously. I don't know how much you need that in your head coach specifically. A head coach seems to be more about game management, more about about motivation in general of the team, more about not letting team lay down on you at, at a key time, like say lose this Cincinnati game after beating New England. Uh, I, I, I don't know how other organizations are going to look at Martindale in terms of that aspect. What do you think, Chris? We're talking Roman, but yes. Right? Yes. I, 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 well, okay. Well, you're, just throwing them, you're throwing I, them both I did in there. I actually was talking about Wink as going through this. I might okay. have heard, heard, uh, heard you say Wink even though you said Roman. Yes. Well, I think even if we talk about both, right, you know, I think those two are some of the better minds in the NFL when it comes to X's and O's. But, you know, being a head coach is very different from being a coordinator. You, as you said, you have to motivate your players. You basically have to be the CEO of the team. And whether or not those two coordinators, Wake Martindale or Greg Roman, can be the CEO, I don't doubt them on that. But I think we don't have enough information at that point to say whether or not they would be successful um, as, as head coaches. Of course, it depends on what the teams are looking for, too. If you're a team like Cincinnati who hired Zach Taylor, they hired him specifically because he was an offensive mind that worked you know, with Sean McVay. But if you're a team looking for a more established person to be a CEO, I'm not sure that Greg Roman or Wick Martindale would be that um, the candidate for you. All right. Yeah, any is there anything strange about Greg Roman that he's had his most success with non-traditional quarterbacks? You know, it's I don't think that's a bad thing at all because what that tells you is that if you want to find a player who other teams might not find valuable, then he could be your guy who can coach and get the most out of that team. So I mean, that's certainly what's happened here, I think is, you know, the rest of the NFL did not believe in Lamar Jackson. He was the fifth quarterback drafted at number 32. Uh, you know, Greg Roman wasn't the offensive coordinator when he came here, but he was he was on the staff. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's an exciting value that the Ravens have gotten anyway out of Roman being a run game coordinator last year and I guess a, a uh, uh, offensive coordinator this year. Right. It feels like kind of him being the offensive coordinator for Kaepernick and then for Tyrod kind of prepared him for for Lamar very much all right let's close it out with Brandon's question about Roman and he's wondering about what your thoughts are on him sprinkling the Heisman what is it a triple option uh throwing RG3 out there so three Heisman three Heisman Heisman. in the same backfield what do you think about Chris that's definitely the most creative play I've seen in a long time I, I really liked it um you know, the Ravens didn't have to do that. They're already starting to manhandle the Bengals a little bit, but it just shows the levels Greg Roman is willing to go to make a play work. And they gained, I think, what, six or eight yards, something like that on that play. So it was a good play. So it was the option. It was a 12-yard option. I think Lamar got three of it and, and, and RG3 got right, the right. play recall. But the real question is, is it a real play that the Ravens plan to use with maybe RG3 throwing it at some point, or is it you're killing the Bengals, let's have fun and let RG3 out on the field? I mean, I, I, there's a component of this that I really believe it's just a photo op. And, and you've seen the p- picture on Twitter, which basically has the three names in the backfield and kind of a wishbone look. I don't know why RG3 would be the guy in that, in that situation. If you want to run a pony backfield, go ahead and run a pony backfield. Put Justice Hill in there as a second guy. Put a, put a wide receiver in there if you want to run some sort of a, of a, of a play where you might, might do something else. I guess RG3 is the, in there if you want to throw the ball out of that formation and, and, and on an option. So it would make sense from that sense. 
But I don't think we're going to see this more than, ooh, I'm going to put him over under it maybe one and a half times the remainder of the year. All right. Well, yeah, now all the teams are going to have to uh, at least scheme for that too. So that's, that's a good point. Mind. Yeah, that's a good point. So if for four weeks anyway, there'll be a wear-off period of they'll, they'll be looking at that play and saying, well, what do we do if we see this? Yeah. All right. Well, that is the mailbag. Make sure you're getting your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag. All right, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Again, uh, plug uh, Baltimore Feather, plug your Twitter, let people know how yeah. to follow you and, and all that. Sure. You can find the blog at BaltimoreFeather.com. You can find our Twitter at BeMoreFeather. Um, I'm at Chris Linfont on Twitter. Uh, and you can find the Nest Talk podcast at Nest Talk on Twitter as well. Um, that's our weekly podcast every Friday, an hour-long show. We discuss the latest Ravens news. All right. And then, Ken, uh, Baltimore, filmstudybaltimore.com is growing. And uh, right now you've got your breakdown of the offense up there. Defense will be up there in the next day, I assume. Yes, that's, that's right. The offensive line is still to come, actually. We, we've got, gotten the habit of the last couple of weeks of putting this podcast out before. We'll, we'll follow that one more time. And, uh, and have the podcast come out before the article, but you'll see the article with the, with the detailed offensive line scoring on Wednesday. And uh, we have some film study shorts planned. Uh, we're about three deep right now, but we would love to get more in the queue. So have your great questions like we heard one tonight. Let's add them and make sure that we, we get you your chance to be on a 10 to 15 minute episode. Just, just a conversation back and forth with me about, uh, about some particular issue you see with the Baltimore Ravens. All right, that sounds great. Well, guys, we will talk soon. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.